0: Hey everyone, welcome to Health Addicts. Before we get started though, remember, this show is for entertainment purposes only, meaning I'm not your doctor. So if you have questions about the information and content on this show, ask your doctor, okay? Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Wait, how many carbs am I really supposed to be eating? How much sleep do I actually need? Am I supposed to be even taking vitamins? Guess I better listen to The Health Health Addict Addict Show. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Health Addicts Show. I'm your host, Tommy J, and I know it's been quite a while since our last podcast. And it's been kind of for good reason. The hospital's been very busy. They needed me to be there. We've had a lot of cases there. I mean, you look at Michigan, we have over 25,000 cases now of coronavirus in Michigan alone. It's definitely getting a problem. Not quite what I expected. It definitely blew up much more than it should have. We should have been much more prepared than this. But from a hospital standpoint, at least from where I'm working in the healthcare system, I think we're handling it pretty well. Overall, we haven't had a lot of employee problems with it. And most of the patients that we are seeing are getting better, which is a good thing. That's what we want. I mean, the total overall death for COVID-19 is about 3%, getting closer to four, which isn't as good, but influenza is already at 1%. So we know it's already more dangerous than that, but we're still doing pretty darn good. And it's kind of crazy, right? Cause it's not just the old that are getting sick, like the typical influenza or immunocompromised. We're having some pretty healthy people with not very many comorbidities that are getting super sick. Their lungs kind of turn to trash. They can't breathe. They have something called silent hypoxemia, which they're not really exhibiting shortness of breath, but you actually take their oxygen levels, then they are hypoxic. It's incredible. So we're going to dive into this a little bit. I probably won't talk about too much about what the virus is and how it's spread, because I'm sure most of you have been listening to the media and other sources, and they've covered it pretty well. But we'll definitely talk about it from a healthcare standpoint, what I'm seeing, and how we can do better in the future, especially with another outbreak. Cause I'll tell you what folks, this isn't going away. It should even peak now. We're going to plateau and then it's going to come back. I guarantee it. So just some pretty basic overall information, COVID-19 or coronavirus disease 2019, what COVID-19 stands for or novel coronavirus. This is a virus that's being spread just like flu. It spreads person to person through droplet and it's highly infectious. It's also labeled as SARS-2, Sudden Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome number two, because there's a SARS-1 virus, and we even have a MERS virus, which is Middle Eastern Respiratory Distress Syndrome. So between SARS, MERS, and this being SARS-2, this should tell you what kind of virus this is, and it's because it transfers from species to species. Now, whatever your beliefs are, you can believe that this was a government-made virus that's here to spread and kill people. The truth is, it honestly spreads species to species. And just like the other SARS, it usually originates in something as a bat host that transfers to another species and then is transferred to us. So it crosses many species barriers before it even gets to us, just like how this crossed from a bat to the pangolin to us, and now it's even spread to a tiger that's found in New York Zoo. So this shows you how fast and rapid this virus can shift. So how is this virus transferred? And the biggest way to say is it is, it's done through respiratory. Is it airborne? No, Uh, that is a very false claim. Now, can it be suspended in air? Yeah, with certain types of devices that can aerosolize it, then it's transferred in the air, but even then it's a very dense virus. It won't sit in the air for very, very long. I'd say close more to 30 minutes, maybe an hour, if you're lucky and there's circulation in the room. But overall though, it doesn't really suspend in the air unless it's being held onto by something. I mean, think about it. It's a virus. Viruses don't float in this kind of fashion, especially these very dense, large viruses. So it has to be an expectorant. So, coughing, sneezing, they ride these droplets that come from us. Even if they're microscopic, they ride them across. And it's usually within a six foot radius. Or if you cough or sneeze onto some surface and then somebody touches their hands on that surface and then they touch their face and nose because they need, need to be into the respiratory system. So they touch their nose or their mouth and that's how people are catching it. So is the mask really helping you? I would say overall in a large populated area when there's a lot of people around you and it helps avoid you touching your face, I would say the mask is helping you. But in a sense, it's a false sense of security because people are going to still be touching their face. They're going to be touching other things. They think it's okay to now touch their face after moving the mask and you're going to be touching your face with your COVID-positive hands and next thing you know, you catch the virus, which is a dangerous situation. Overall, just have to make sure that you're keeping your proximity from people. Make sure you wash your hands regularly and disinfect areas that could have been contaminated. And then generally, most people won't catch it. Because the thing is, the social distancing works. If you look at how the virus has plateaued here in Michigan, it's because people are staying home. They're not going out and having fun in bars and having drinks with everybody. They're staying home, which they should be. You shouldn't be going visiting your elderly family members all the time either, because they're very susceptible to this virus. So social distancing has helped. Even though it feels like it hasn't, it really has plateaued the curve for a lot of people contracting this virus. So if you look at the United States as a whole, we have over 500,000 cases. We're sitting about 4% death rate for people that have contracted the virus. And it's a very elderly population that's getting it. It's people that have immunocompromised syndromes that are getting it. And then there's another phenotype they're looking at because there's these random groups of people that are healthy, young, that have been contracting this virus. And it's kind of throwing off the curve a little bit. Because if you notice too, children really aren't in this curve. Unless they have other things going on, Most children that get this don't even really exhibit any symptoms and even get better very rapidly. So it's a very high population of people that are elderly, comorbidities, immunosuppressive patients that are getting this and passing away from the virus. As they probably would be if they contracted any type of the flu strains. So what makes this virus so crazy is it causes something called a cytokine storm. That's when your body's having this immune response and having all these inflammatory responses and your lungs get super inflamed and these patients decompensate so fast. They'll come in with some shortness of breath and they look okay for a second. You might throw a couple liters of oxygen on them just to compensate for the hypoxia. And then they continue to decompensate with this cough and fever. And this fever especially throws off this oxygen curve that we call it. So your oxygen binds to your hemoglobin based on an acidity a pH, and temperature of your body, and it needs this good environment for oxygen to really bind well to hemoglobin. And with these high temperatures that patients are having with the virus, it's causing a shift, so oxygen doesn't really bind as well. And when we check people on a monitor, yeah, they might see 96, 97%, but then when we draw their blood, you might see 88 or 89%. So there's a huge shift that's happening with these people. So after the cytokine storm's happening, it starts to really inflame and fill the lungs. And then they have a hard time breathing, their oxygen starts getting lower and lower, and then eventually we have to keep increasing oxygen devices Till eventually they end up on a ventilator with a tube down their throat. It's incredible how fast someone can decompensate. Now, not just based on the test that we can say, hey, this person has coronavirus, or this person doesn't have coronavirus as far as the COVID-19 version of it. We can also look at certain things like procalcitonin, the C-reactive protein, and the ferritin levels. These are very big markers for inflammation, and it shows us that there's a high likelihood that these people have COVID-19. So eventually, right in the hospital, if you have these three markers, we should be treating you right away, especially if they're very high. This is a very good way to tell if you're gonna have a bad core, especially that C-reactive protein. If you have a high C-reactive protein, I'm already gonna tell that you're gonna have a high oxygen requirement course. So I already start setting up devices that would help you circumvent that problem. For a lot of people though, there's really no way to stop this inflammation that's happening right and fast. So eventually they do get intubated and put it on a ventilator and then we have to just let it run its course. Now there's a lot of strategies that come with these patients, especially once to become ICU status. Uh, Right now in our hospital, we have well over 200 patients that are ICU status, over 140 people are on ventilators. It's a very tricky way to treat a patient population because everyone is so different. But for the most part, everyone kind of reacts pretty well to the same on some levels. First things first, these patients are super coagulopathic. I've seen so many of these patients clot off their lines, especially if they're having a sepsis, then they need dialysis or CRRT. These lines are being clotted off so fast. So prophylactically, we have to treat them with heparin. It's unbelievable how coagulopathic they are. Another thing we really noticed is they respond well to norepinephrine as far as a presser. Um, there's a lot of pressures you can use, but nor has been one of the better ones for getting these patients back to a good blood pressure that we need. Because definitely during the sepsis point, they're having a lot of hypotension. So we need to really treat these patients, especially if we're proning and flipping these patients to help ventilate and oxygenate them. Thirdly, if these patients are already having inflammatory diseases before this, glucocorticosteroids have definitely helped a lot of these patients with their inflammatory processes. Because understand this, most of these patients have a vent day course, especially in the ICU with the cytokine storm that lasts 7 to 10 days. And we really need to minimize the amount of inflammation that they're having. So corticosteroids are a great way to help with this, but they need high amounts of levels with this. Now, as far as medication to actually treat the virus, the chloroquine and the hydrochloroquine, it hasn't really been very prosperous. We haven't seen great results, especially these patients that have gone from higher oxygen requirements and we've tried them on heat high flow to see if we can de-escalate care and not need the ventilator, these patients are still requiring the ventilator and still having the same amount of vent days that are on these two medications. Now, the other antiviral that we use, remdesivir has helped a little bit, but it's still nothing that's shown like Tamiflu does with the regular flu. This very big margin of decrease in infectious days and symptomatic days, it just hasn't had as large of a big gap as we wanted it to. Cause overall these patients still have two week courses, maybe even three week to six week courses, depending on how sick they get. But this is the a population that is getting super sick that requires ICU status. Most patients don't have this problem. They get sick, they get the sore throat, cough, fever, shortness of breath, and they just last for a couple days. And then eventually their body kind of gets through it like the normal flu. It's nothing that extends this long course like everyone else is having and that needs hospitalization for it. So overall though, the best idea is just let these patients rest, especially if they're on the ventilator, paralyzing them and sedating them has shown the best courses. Yeah. it still lasts five, seven, 10 days, but these patients that aren't awake fighting the ventilator, especially on these high peak and expiratory pressures. I mean, we're seeing peeps of 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, 26, to get these patients to open up their lungs. And even though that sounds very high, they love this high peep table. It's actually more than high mean airway pressures. There's other doctors that have been using high volumes to treat these patients, which I don't recommend because trauma is a very common thing in patients with acute respiratory distress syndrome, that ARDS. And you shouldn't be treating patients with high volumes. You should be treating patients with lung protective strategies, six CCs per kilogram and the high peak table on the ventilator. And this has been shown pretty good for courses. If you sedate them, paralyze them, give them some time to rest. These patients can eventually get off, but. They also need a longer spontaneous breathing trial, this weaning attempts that we try to do. They look okay in the ventilator, but as soon as they lose that base pressure, their lungs start filling up again and their O2 requirements start increasing again. So it's very good to kind of watch these patients before you actually pull the tube out of them. So the best thing is really just don't get the virus. Just protect yourself, wash your hands. Don't visit other people that are sick. Just take care of yourself, healthcare workers too take care of yourself. Make sure you're getting plenty of rest, doing things that help promote your immune system, getting rest, taking vitamin C, eating healthy even, making sure you're getting all your meals. This is so important because if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't help others. And especially some of these patients, make sure you have the correct PPE. It doesn't matter what your hospital is telling you. You have so many people that rely on you and you cannot get sick right now. Because we have patients that sometimes self extubate themselves because they're too awake, and we have healthcare workers running in, it's like, no, don't do that. Put your PPE on. Take care of yourself first. I'm sorry, as bad as that sounds. There's so many lives are at stake in a hospital right now, especially in these high populated areas like where I'm working, that need us to be there as many days as possible. So make sure you're getting plenty of rest, taking care of yourself, and promoting a healthy body and healthy mind, because this is a high stress area and a high stress time, and it's not going away anytime soon. If you look at the pandemic from 1912, it peaked, plateaued, peaked really high again, and plateaued again. This is gonna be around yearly if we're not lucky. So we need to take care of ourselves. All right guys, we're gonna go over some stuff now. Some pretty big stuff. I think we need to cover a couple things, especially when it comes to myths and other things that people have been spreading that say work and help protect you against the virus. And I think we need to debunk some of these because it's very important that you understand how to better protect yourself. And the first thing that makes me crack up every time I hear about it, 5G does not cost the coronavirus. I'm gonna tell you right now, that that is very untrue the 5g has nothing to do with the coronavirus now can you have other speculations of what 5g does to your body of course but there's nothing correlating 5g internet and wireless that comes with the coronavirus now there's a lot of people telling you stop taking tylenol and other things that prevent you from having a fever because they think if you have a high body temperature it's going to help fight the virus and take care of it calling it natural immunity this is untrue, and it's a very unsafe practice. Your body shouldn't have a fever. And when I'm talking about fever, I'm talking about greater than at least 101, and definitely you don't want to get to 104. 104 is really bad temperature. and You actually are in an emergency situation now. So if you are actually having a fever, go ahead and take Tylenol take it because it's going to help you with your fever and you're going to feel better. You don't feel good when you have a fever and it's not going to help prevent or decrease the infectious days that you have with the coronavirus. Now, does drinking help prevent the coronavirus? Probably not, but there are studies that show if you rinse your mouth out or gargle with water or salt water, maybe twice or three times a day, there has been decreased infections with flu and drop-like infection rates if you do this. So washing and rinsing and maybe even doing a little gargle will help you actually decrease your chances of catching a virus but alcohol itself will not decrease your chance of catching corona there's some people saying if they're in a cold environment or a hot environment they're less likely to get it i'm going to tell you right now it doesn't matter what environment you're in winter doesn't kill this hot and humid environments don't kill this you are going to catch it no matter what environment you are unless you protect yourself so don't think because you're in a certain climate or place that you won't catch this virus. Now, this is kind of an interesting one. There's one that says the hand dryers and also toilets, if using and flushing, will spread the virus. Now, your GI system alone is a very good garbage disposal. The hydrochloric acid is made to kill a lot of things. Now, the only way I can really see if your fecal matter is positive with corona is if you're immunocompromised and somehow the virus gets through that and spreads it could potentially be spread through the toilet it's highly unlikely that people in the bathrooms are spreading corona to each other so i would recommend i mean honestly you shouldn't be out in public bathrooms anyway right now you should be home and taking care of yourself and only going out if you have to And same thing with hand dryers those air flowing ones we already knew they spread fecal matter into the air and you breathe it yeah if you didn't know that that's actually a true thing so it could possibly also be a way to pass the virus but again it's highly unlikely that the virus is being absorbed into those air dryers and then spread around now i don't know if you've seen any of the funny videos of people spraying down their kids with lysol and alcohol and other cleaning products don't do this okay you're hurting your people you're hurting your kids you're hurting your family members don't spray people with lysol and alcohol chlorine bleach you're hurting the skin and other it's a very good respiratory irritant if you're spraying these kind of products around and you're not decreasing the actual chance of you getting it. Now, if you're in a full body suit, that's a hazmat suit and you can spray chemicals all over it, go ahead. But honestly, just wash your clothes, wash your body regularly, keep your hands clean, and you shouldn't have to worry about this, especially keeping your hands off your face. Now, people have said that antibiotics might help against this. It's not true. Antibiotics are a bacterial preventative. They break down bacterial walls and allows them not to grow. Now that's not how the virus spreads. It needs a host. It doesn't work the same way as bacteria. So antibiotics don't work on viruses. You need antiviral. So that's why it's kind of hard to treat this. We don't actually have any labeled medications that are there to treat this coronavirus. Now, like I said, we've had a couple things that did work, but it's not even conclusive if those work. So honestly, it's better just not to contract this if you can And finally, do bugs actually transfer, like bed bugs, mosquitoes, things that can bite human and bite another human to transfer the virus? And so far, we've shown no data that any of these other vectors can pass the virus along with it. It's not like malaria or Lyme disease or any other kind of diseases that attack us. Coronavirus isn't spreading this way yet. I don't wanna say it's possible, but right now it's just not happening. So it's inconclusive at this time. So don't worry about this right yet. So this is pretty much the podcast on Corona. I hope you learned some things. Remember, take care of yourself. Make sure you wash your hands regularly, get good exercise, make sure you're eating healthy, make sure you're eating enough, make sure you're protecting your immune system, taking things to help increase your immunity. This, this is all important stuff. Cause again, if we don't spread the virus, It won't go anywhere. It needs a host to survive. It's not something that's gonna live on tables and desktops for years on end. So it needs a host to survive. So everyone, take care of yourself. Make sure that you're taking care of other people by not seeing them, especially older family members or anyone else that's immunocompromised. I know you're taking care of yourselves. Please continue. We can all defeat this. I know a lot of people are even getting stir crazy being home alone, but You're all doing a good job. It's making an impact. I'm telling you from a healthcare standpoint, and I see it every day. It's doing work. But everybody, thanks for listening. Stay addicted to your health. And I'll be sure to make more podcasts here in the future. I don't know if it's going to continue to get busier, but as I have more time, I will continue to make more podcasts. I may even do an update and it's going to be pretty exciting. I'm going to have some people on the podcast and we're going to start doing interviews and asking questions about jobs and things they've seen. So everybody stay tuned. It's going to be great. Bye, everyone.